0: and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here and I'm joined by Don as usual. Today we're going to be talking about the Great Reset. So this is something that has been kind of a conspiracy theory and not so much a conspiracy theory but just like a thing that is a reality I guess. The Davos Economic Forum kind of had this plan to build the world economy back up after COVID and whatever recession we are experiencing and may continue to experience. And it looked like the basic idea was that we would start eliminating ownership of things at a small scale and it would start to move more towards like renting uh, services and all that kind of stuff. So you wouldn't own a car, you wouldn't own just anything. You'd you'd be just buying it on a per use basis or some kind of subscription. And um, a lot of people are feeling like this is some kind of Marxist plot. There's a a lot of lore around this conspiracy, which I don't know like all the ins and outs of it, but that's the basic gist of it, I think.
1: Yeah. So I guess like the, the basic idea is the build back better kind of stuff where it's like, right. It's basically this idea that they've had long standing problems with the way that the economies have been range arranged for like sustainability and stuff. So the idea is, well, now that we have a chance to fix a lot of that and kind of tidy things up, what we can do is get rid of a lot of debt that people hold but at the same time, wipe out maybe, you know, in in the more conspiracy side, it's like get the wipe out a lot of the assets that average people hold and stuff. And yeah, and then maybe have in exchange for that, maybe like something like a basic income or ongoing kind of thing. And it's basically this fear that you're being turned into like a surf kind of, right? Like you just, yeah. you maybe have some minimal stake in the system where you can kind of get by, but otherwise you're just providing labor in exchange for a few streaming services of like approved content and all this kind of stuff. And it's one of those things where it's probably a lot more it's of the conspiracy theories. It, 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 it's one of those things where it, it, it seems to have more grounding in sort of the way people feel things are going,
0: you know, it's not necessarily
1: right. like uh, true and what they actually aim for, but it seems sort of like that. And so the conservatives in Canada have actually really been playing into this a lot. One person posted a petition and it got like a huge number of signatures, I think, being like, we need to stop the Great Reset and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it has that sort of feel of, you know, they're coming for our stuff or something. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that there, there is something there, obviously, that there, there is this sort of shock doctrine kind of thing that Naomi Klein talks about of using the crisis as an opportunity for policy reforms that people have been wanting for a long time
0: yeah and, uh, you know what's funny mentioning yeah. uh naomi klein the the places where i have heard uh people talk about this from that conspiratorial perspective you know like that kind of right wing like oh this is a marxist dictatorship plot kind of a idea they are referencing naomi klein that has been kind of incorporated into the kind of canon of paranoid conspiracy texts at this point which is interesting because it's fairly left-wing if i remember it right i read it like 15 years ago but you know she's a leftist of some bent yeah. and uh yeah it's interesting to see them are they're starting to read that stuff
1: yeah i think that she, she kind of is good at anticipating a lot of the trends that are going to come up uh in different ways and obviously she thinks that it, it's opportunistically used for right-wing purposes most of the time but she does have a sense of urgency around stuff like climate change and sort of major social reforms she's been trying to push in Canada and the United States. So, yeah, it is uh, like there is that that feeling out there, at least, I think, amongst progressive-minded elites kind of thing that there should be some major push on things like climate change and other things that somehow change the structure of the economy. But, of course, in the elite sort of minded sphere, I think that a lot of it is built up with tech guru kind of nonsense kind of thing right so Mm -hmm. it really is about like okay well we're gonna have these giant institutions but we have to kind of adapt to them and sort of lean on the tech sector to develop a lot of it so there there has been stuff like we had talked a little bit about before this uh, we started about like different taxes and stuff that are being put on these streaming services or services of other kinds Mm -hmm. and uh it's interesting because it, it's shown to be, it's kind of aimed at being like a countervailing force. Like somehow the government is mitigating the effects of these tech giants, but in some ways it almost feels like they're getting addicted to it too. Like in Canada, like they put like a, not like a, I'm not sure if they even put the tax on yet, but they they have different like agreements with Netflix so that like Netflix will make a lot of the stuff of, uh, or like make Canadian content, make like Canadian, like, or make things in Canada and stuff. And, uh, that seems kind of like an odd, uh, like accommodation or something. You know, like you've got this, mm-hmm. you've got this whole overarching system where, uh, I don't know, it's it reminds me of like Airbnb giving units for people in the crisis, like in different situations, like they're they're somehow trying to become like a social housing unit kind of thing, or like Uber and all those things becoming like public taxis in places and stuff. I don't know. It's it's this weird like hybrid neoliberal public-private partnership kind of thing, you know? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. The thing about all that kind of progressive technocratic mindset is it always feels like they're trying to have it both ways. Yeah. Like they're trying to say like, oh, well, the people need our help. We need to do stuff that's going to help out the, you know, the working man or whatever. And then they also want to try to promote this like tech bullshit. And then it ends up kind of being the worst of both worlds, you know, somehow. Like it just always (laughs) ends up that way maybe not even with ill intent. It just kind of sure. tends to go that way.
1: Yeah, I think that the computers are a really good example of this that I've been thinking about more recently, about how, you know, you had all these people warning 20, 30 years ago that we were moving towards this model where instead of just buying a computer and then having, like, say, open source programs, whatever, so that your your main sort of contribution was the capital of buying, like, the pieces or whatever, right? Now there are multiple streams of payments you're supposed to be making just to make it work with modern contemporary technology for different services, especially if you're like a business or, you know, even just a person that like, like me, I'm kind of like in an in-between kind of thing where I'm technically like self-employed. So there's a bunch of little things that I find very useful. So I do get a benefit from it, but it's also like you're paying like 10 different subscriptions or something at the end of the day, you know? And, yeah. uh, instead of just, uh, say like, I, like say I pay Google to host my email and stuff like that. Right. And, uh, little things like that, that add up, it's not just that it's, it's, I'm paying these things. It's also that like, it's all on the cloud kind of thing, you know, like it's all services that they not only control, but they also basically just read and advertise
0: towards too. So, yeah. The you know. cloud is a great early example of this because this means you don't have to own your own storage. You are using whoever Amazon or whoever was on. I don't know what the early stages of the cloud ownership looked like, but now it's pretty much Amazon owns so like most of the Internet. And uh, yeah, you're, you're, they, they have the hardware. They have all the like actual stuff that does the job of storing it for you and you are just uh, attached to them. And it doesn't really cost that much for most people. Uh, if anything at all, like I don't pay anything to Google for that, but you know, they're data harvesting and stuff. So it is profitable for them yeah. to do this, you know?
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if you're looking at it from the perspective of society overall, that the, there is obviously enormous costs involved, even just, I mean, even advertising itself is a cost to you, right? In different ways, right? In terms of, you know, it's, it's designed to increase the chance that you'll buy something and stuff like that, you know? So this idea that it's like a matchmaking service is not necessarily all that reasonable. If it, You know, it's like, a, I don't know, it's just there's huge parts of the infrastructure that I'm not even sure how you would make it public or how you would regulate it in a better way. I don't know. I just, it's just like there's ongoing things where you can kind of look at choices that were made in the past that it's hard to sort of divorce yourself from. Like, you know, it, it's technically possible that I could just set up my own email servers and i could do all the back-end kind of work you know instead of using different office programs i could use the open office suites and all that kind of stuff you know like there's ways to do it it's just that it doesn't really matter that much at the end of the day because it just it's just irritating thing that you can do for yourself or you can just do what everyone else is doing that is a bit annoying and expensive or something like that kind of thing you know like it's not the individual choice is not really what matters here as much as it's like it's like deciding who you're going to vote for or something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the individual action that is the important thing. It's the overall sort of shape of how the technology is moving. Kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. Because I, even if you are able to find ways to kind of maintain, you know, whatever things you want in your own hands, you can kind of hold on to that. That's probably going to be possible. But the thing is, the costs of all this stuff is going to change as things start to, Become more focused and centered on this like rented kind of economy mm-hmm. than to actually own something. It's going to be much more costly, I think. Well, one
1: thing that you can kind of see that happening with is like DVDs and stuff like that, or like content sure. like that way. Where I had bad internet for a few years, so what was happening is that I would buy DVDs from like Walmart or something. You know, the the thing is that with that is that there's the cost is not really comparable in a lot of ways, right? Because for Netflix Plus prime or something like that is about $25 Canadian or something a month if for like the good HD whatever that's like one DVD now you know (laughs) so it's like you're you know like the it's a monopoly price that is actually beneficial to you but it's also like it has these uh costs where if you're buying something outside of the subscription model then you just you start paying these really high prices really quickly kind of thing just to maintain if you're doing it legally obviously like you know you could just torrent or whatever but that's part of the issue with content that falls out of favor or something like that, right? So like that's one of the issues with the cloud model is that it, things can just get zapped off the internet yeah, like so easily. And uh, if you're sort of playing by the rules, which I tend to do, I, I haven't really used torrents and stuff in a few years just because of the way my internet set up and that. And uh, if, you know, Louis CK or something like that is uh, falls out of favor for what he did and then they pull down the videos or something like that, you know, like you can't. I don't know, it's just, it's strange. Or like, you know, Adult Swim, I guess, with Sam Hyde's show and stuff, they pulled it, I think. I don't know, I I feel like there is something a bit ominous with that, with all the stuff where they're editing videos so that they have different, they they look different for, uh, you know, like I said, I think that there was a big controversy that they were going to edit out Donald Trump from Home Alone 2 or something and, um, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. Like, it just, it adds up, you know, it adds up as like a phenomenon. All the little things is like, uh, I don't know. That's why I always would joke about, like, they should, like, Stan Lee got accused of abusing someone or whatever, right? It was just, like, him being, like, super old or whatever, right? Like, it was, like, him grabbing at nurses or something like that, I think. But I was saying that, like, they should pull down all the Marvel content in that. Right, yeah. And uh, it's stuff like that where it's, like, you can kind of sense from in the ideology what is something that someone becomes fair game and what is, oh, no, real money is involved in that. We're not doing that kind of thing. So, yeah
0: yeah it's it's weird the focus on like stand-ups and uh, comedy and stuff that that kind of took and i I don't know you can go listen to any pick any random comedians podcast and they'll be talking about this for half the episode so i won't go into it too deeply but yeah it just seems like uh like louis didn't do a whole lot and then got extremely punished and then like stan lee it, probably a s- similar magnitude of a crime and no discussion whatsoever. For whatever reason, like stand up comedy seemed to kind of be seen as more I don't want to say like threatening. I don't know if it's that it's more like they wanted to make room for other kinds of content, like to change comedy in some sort of way. Um, I, I wonder if that has something to do with like Daily Show evolving into almost like MSNBC, basically, like it kind of moved away yeah. from being like this kind of very satirical kind of thing and it now it's like snl and daily show are both just like super libbed up you know yeah and i don't know that, that stuff doesn't concern me too much because for example like a, a lot of these comedians who are getting canceled or they're feeling the pressure of that they're just moving to youtube and other sorts of platforms and they're doing just fine like yeah mark Norman, he was you know he doesn't really watch his mouth he's not like he's not a bad dude or whatever he doesn't like have bad politics or anything like that i think he could easily kind of work the whole mainstream thing but he just decides not to and um he did really good with his youtube and now he's like opening for jerry seinfeld and stuff so i think i don't know it's it's a it's a weird thing i'm not really sure what they're what the plan is there it might just be the people that run this stuff have certain sensibilities and they're just interested in that thing i don't see it as some kind of diabolical plot so much you know But it is you're right that it is like kind of worrisome the idea that things just start to get consolidated in their hands, and you have much less of an ability to control that kind of stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of have to. I think it also works basically like rebuilding the cable system. People kind of point that out that you're paying that that you're sort of dependent on them for paying. $50 a month or more sometimes for all these packages combined or something. But like uh, the real point there, I think, is less the actual the cost is part of it. But it's also like uh, they are now content makers that determine the culture in a lot of ways. You know, like Disney can basically with with things like social media and stuff like that. They're recreating that sense of everyone watching the same thing. It's not necessarily true. I mean, numbers might not bear it out. It's more kind of like uh, that there's this subculture of people that have very, very similar uh, content preferences and um, that it kind of strings people along that way. And that really does rebuild a sense of mainstream and uh, acceptability and tolerance and stuff that I think it sets the pace for a lot of other things. It makes it very hard, I think, to buck that trend unless you're just willing to be a small part of it kind of thing you know so yeah
0: yeah yeah. even if you don't you personally don't watch that stuff enough other people are it starts to kind of become that like it occupies such a large part of the discourse that the stuff you are watching if it's not necessarily that kind of like mainstream stuff they're going to be responding to it it really like warps things around it so yeah there is a there, there is that sense of like a mass influence that that kind of thing has mm-hmm. uh, even if you avoid it it still affects you i don't know the 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 big tragedy of all this kind of stuff more than anything is the loss of the alternative like if we think to you know go back 10 15 years or something you mentioned torrenting and you know the music industry responded to napster essentially with spotify like we kind of see they co-opted that whole issue like we could have gone in a direction where all this stuff ended up being free and you are able to just access it whenever you want to you know without without any restrictions and they've managed to find ways to kind of rein that in and really like channel everybody through one thing and it it didn't even end up being like multiple different services some kind of patchwork thing it it's really been consolidated like it's spotify is the big one pandora like does anyone use pandora anymore you know like i think it's all been monopolized
1: yeah and apple music too i think and uh, maybe a few things like there have there'd sure. been attempts to kind of compete with it like with uh prime music and stuff but it is interesting how most of them are basically within the tent of some other giant content provider like apple yeah yeah it's competing people. ecosystems yeah. right sure. like yeah. there's
0: the google one there's the apple one amazon is trying to do something sure. microsoft always has its finger in every pie you yeah. know they're trying to do that too and then there's like the the more focused independent ones like spotify that i mentioned uh, twitter is sort of like a similar thing in the social media space uh, at some point they're all going to be one thing. It's all going to be one ecosystem right now. We're yeah. kind of seeing the jockeying for power, but I think that seems inevitable the way things are going. And that sets it up perfectly for this, like everything is a service. Everything is rented. You don't own anything kind of economy. And, um, you know, for people like us, we don't own anything anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, it, the direct consequences of like, you don't own a car, you just Uber everywhere, or, uh, you know, you don't own a home, you're just going to rent for the rest of your life. That's pretty much like, okay, well, that was my life. Um, yeah. So that's not as shocking, but it's, again, it's, it's the fact that this is becoming the norm and this is, everyone is doing this, that, that affects me, even if I'm not experiencing direct consequences of some kind of policy shift or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's that still that layer of people that's pretty small, but it still exists that they don't experience it that way because their assets have gone up and up and up kind of thing, right? So there are like a good number of well-off families and things like that, that they have bought into, you know, real estate and they have bought into all these different things that they see it as it's easier to get rich now than ever before kind of thing. You know, that that's mm. the kind of sense I think a lot of people have. And that because of that, those are the people that the industries tend to focus on. Like we're warping more and more of the, say, news content and all these different things around either like well-off boomers who just watch TV, you know, 50 hours a week plus, or like uh, middle class, like upper middle class kind of professionals who watch MSNBC and all that kind of stuff, you know. Like those are the people that everything now is basically targeted towards for content and like young people in those kind of pools kind of thing and um uh, it's interesting how that is it's not just the culture in terms of like media consumption and stuff even though that's maybe what we lean on more it's also stuff like just how cities are built and stuff like how everything everything kind of orients itself around this type of person like all the explosion of uber and stuff like that is an oriented around that kind of person a lot of it right so uh, I took a course a few years ago about like urban political economy and stuff like that. And one of the interesting things that we read was about like uh, New York city and how some of the different reforms they've had uh, where like they had like this, uh, they have this park that's like an old rail line called the high line. And uh, it was like, what they did is they, they took it and they cleaned it up and uh, turned it into a tourist attraction. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, from the ground up tourist attraction like people had been wandering on this like elevated rail line kind of thing as like a fun thing to do kind of thing and then they turned it explicitly into an attraction and millions of people go there every year now over the last few years whatever and not just that but uh, the property values of everything around it have gone up like in in aggregate by billions of dollars they attribute just to having this amenity there. Like just having this tourist attraction slash nice thing to have there uh, has an enormous positive effect on how much those buildings are worth around it kind of thing. So it's interesting Uh how developers are, if you look at like the writing for developers that they do and like all the whole project around that, it's just astonishing how much detail goes into it in terms of trying to sell to a certain type of, upper class person kind of thing and trying to like push a certain type of life to them and how much like extreme detail goes into that in terms of like you know pushing certain types of amenities certain types of people living there certain types of neighborhoods and stuff and you know it gets it gets talked a lot about in terms of gentrification and stuff but it's interesting how deep that process is not just in it it, you know it, it rolls back it's not just buying housing and stuff like that or renting or whatever it's also like how culture works now in terms of production of art museums and stuff like art museums are built explicitly now a lot of the time for these kind of gentrification purposes and stuff right but Mm -hmm. it's also like uh you can really really tell now how content on streaming services and stuff is is built the same way like in terms of trying to appeal to specific types of audiences that their sensibilities and stuff in such a targeted way with you know such like extreme precision to try to get those kind of people to subscribe i don't know it's very it ends up feeling like ominous once you kind of put it all together kind of thing so yeah
0: yeah it's it's not great uh the the creepiest thing about that is the way that everything is targeted towards those people to kind of eliminate or make invisible any kind of underclass beneath them. Sure. So they they just think of themselves as being like the average. And so when all this stuff comes out and like that's just the options you have is like to pay some high price for something. Well, that's okay. I, I can afford that and everyone else seems to be doing okay that I can see on my TV and in my neighborhood and at work. So it seems fine, right? Mm-hmm. And then even if they're like liberal, progressive or whatever, and they may have this idea of like a – You know, I want everyone to be taken care of and all that kind of stuff. If you never see the issues that result from these kind of solutions, you're just going to be happy with the solutions and push for them more, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of creeps me out. Just the fact that it, I don't know, makes people invisible and stuff. It's sort of, sort of
1: weird. Sure. And I I think that if you see some of the more mainstream solutions to poverty and stuff that people propose. It's stuff like Andrew Yang saying like twelve thousand dollars a year, basic income or something, right? Like where, you know, that was his kind of thing, right? Like thousand a month or something like that, whatever the yeah. Yang bucks kind of stuff. But uh, that's that's a bit ominous to me. It's better than what is, exists now in a lot of senses, but like if that's the if that's the deal people are being offered, it's a very kind of terrifying deal. At the end of the day, it's like you get twelve thousand dollars and maybe access to all these kind of like streaming services and things, but you don't have any possibility of much beyond that kind of thing, right? Like you're not really, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a, it seems like a sort of paralysis thing. And I, I felt like that to some extent for a while and recently it's gotten better, but like you do get the sense after a while that it's like, there's just no plan for integrating you into the, the system kind of thing, right? Like it's just, You're just on your own. You got to figure out some way how to do it, and uh, all the sort of institutions that are there are really not. They're oriented towards people who are better off. Not only like are like the culture and stuff, but also just like the pricing models and everything. You know, like everything is oriented to people that are better off in a way that seems like upside down. Like, I mean, the obvious one obviously was is stuff like banking, where if you have a low income and you start getting dinged with fees here and there you can really quickly get into a bad spot with that kind of stuff right like just all oh, yeah. the dings you get all the people getting rejection letters with all this kind of stuff it all kind of really comes together quickly but now i'm i've got like some savings and it's the opposite like i don't pay any bank fees anymore like they they pay they pay me to bank for them technically i guess right like so it's crazy in some ways it's like uh i understand why it has to work like that in the model that we have like i get that but like it's, it's funny how if you're well off in the society, uh, you just don't even experience a lot of the costs directly kind of thing, right? Because people are so interested in getting your business, so interested in having you part of their model that it's like everything seems a little bit easier. So, you know.
0: Yeah, you know what they say. It's expensive to be poor. Yeah. Yeah, the, the funny thing about that, right? Like if if they only really cater to people with some disposable income, like a middle class kind of an income and up. The easiest way to do that is to get some sort of like nonsense job for one of these giant tech companies, it seems like, right? Like it's like a pretty standard option for people. Mm -hmm. So you end up working for them. They're shoving these ideas down your throat all day at work. Then that becomes like kind of the dominant political paradigm. And, you know, you, you have a nice contract, you're getting some good money, you know, all that kind of stuff. For the people who don't have those options, like maybe they don't have access to that education or whatever it is, now everything's cash-based, right? Like if we're going with this Yang-style thing, you're getting your $1,000 a month or whatever. All, all this stuff that you need to pay for is just like in cash. There's not like a, you know, it's not NHS or something like healthcare. It's just a service that's established and it's available to the public. Everything is for money. Yeah. i am kind of worried about like crime rates and stuff going sky high if everything is just cash based and you're shutting out millions of people from like a decent kind of standard of living you're really giving and, and then there's no mobility right like you're just stuck there you're really encouraging people just to you know pull off some heist or something to kind of break through it's yeah. it's a it seems kind of dangerous. I I don't know. Maybe that's always kind of the case and that's why we have so much crime anyways, but kind of seems to be a really extreme version of this.
1: Yeah, I do think that at least, at the very least, you could see a lot of social despair and stuff like that kind of thing. Like uh, yeah, people, you know, like that's the one of the problems with the basic income kind of stuff. People say about like transition jobs and stuff like that for green tech. And Matt Brunig made this point too, that it was like, if you're working at like some of these sort of like high end skill labor kind of things that in the oil industry and stuff, you can make in Canada like six figures sometimes. Or at least sure, like a yeah. you know, really like a I
0: knew guys in Washington who would do that for a summer and come back with like twenty grand.
1: Yeah. To say that you're gonna trade that in for retraining for a year and then you're getting a job after that that's paying forty thousand, fifty thousand a year or something like that, you know, that might be as good as they can do, but it it doesn't seem appealing at all to them, you know? It's not like uh it's it's like it, it's it's like basically trying to get them to go straight or something like that, you know, like trying to get them to. It's it's like saying trade a life of luxury for just a low scraping by existence or something like that kind of thing. So I mean, it's not yeah. like that luxury is a life. I just mean that like no one's going to rush to make that deal, basically kind of
0: thing. Yeah, so, that's yeah. a big downgrade for you as an individual. So
1: and I mean, if you're talking about like a basic income of twelve thousand a year or something, even if it were like twenty thousand or something, it's like you know, if you've lost your job as a teacher or something like that, you know, or whatever, like if you're, you know, and you're trying to raise a family and stuff, like you, you're just, you're not going to be able to do well kind of thing, you know, like, we'll, you'll just be scraping by it the best to frame it as that being like a positive alternative to the status quo, instead of just a way of surviving the status quo um, is seems like dangerous to me at some level. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that, that's really what it is. It's survival style economics. It reminds me of um, the, the famine in the bengal in um what was this like the 1700s late 1700s there was a famine in the bengal that was you know was administrated by the british empire and there are documents showing where someone had calculated exactly how much money they needed to be like the workers in india how much they need to be provided with in order to meet their calories to keep them alive so like we talk about like uh subsistence economy or whatever like this is like literally they're calculating this for you and just doling out just a little bit i'm sure there's some gaunt-faced bureaucrat that's doing similar things for us maybe not to that extreme right but they're calculating exactly like well okay how much can we squeeze out of these people who have basically nothing and it makes it really easy if you know everyone has like a baseline of this much money and they have nothing else then you can kind of figure it out and you know different markets and stuff will be competing there's the food and the water and the utilities and all that that you know they're all going to try and squeeze as much as they can but it'll eventually settle into this thing where it's just like you work and then you hand it everything you earn and you never accumulate anything and you're just stuck in that lower class
1: yeah and i think debt is a big part of that too for uh, average people where they they feel like uh going to be stuck in sort of a debt treadmill their whole lives or something or like a lot of them get that sense at least and uh You know, if you've got like a big student loan or something like that, you might feel like that, even if it's, even if it's not like decisive, like even if it doesn't make you bankrupt, it could still feel like, you know, you're stuck in that rut for a long time or something. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And that put, I mean, just thinking about when I've been in situations like that, you know, my mind goes to, okay, I bring home this much money. It's not enough. How do I make this or how do I double up my paycheck? You, you. You know, the easiest option is selling drugs. You take that and you just flip it and it just magically multiplies, you know? Sure. It's it's like a little part-time thing. You get one paycheck and you turn it into two. And uh, I I can just see tons of people needing to resort to that, whether it's drugs, you know, opiates is already a problem. So that's kind of what really concerns me is like if a lot of people have to resort to selling that, that's not good. And uh, sex work and all this kind of stuff, you know, people... Talking about like OnlyFans and there's all this kind of stuff. I don't know. It just seems pretty bleak. It does, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. It feels like even if they like
1: broke up the big tech companies or something like that, you know, like turned them into all different constituent parts, whatever. So that like say, Prime Video was its own thing and not part of Prime and all that kind of stuff. You yeah, know?
0: Amazon goes back to books. Yeah, just books. <laughs> um,
1: it 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 seems like so many parts of this model are set up already to be kind of autonomous and running themselves kind of thing. Yeah. that doesn't really matter who owns the actual company or how divided it is or what, you know, the management and stuff like that That might affect certain things, but it's, you know, they're coordinated at like a different level of like just their imperatives of capital and stuff that just drive them towards certain conclusions that like, uh, I don't even know if the sort of antitrust thing will actually make much of a difference at this point i mean in terms of like what's really probably going to happen over the next five ten years you know kind of thing like i could see like antitrust cases becoming a big deal but it not really changing the general drift of things towards this model of sort of like a subscription life or whatever so yeah
0: yeah you break up a crime family and you tell them they have to work separately they're still basically working together you know even if they have to have different different like clans or whatever that they're operating under yeah. yeah um i don't know uh i don't know I, I, that, that all kind of sucks but that's maybe that's what it is and uh it's just nice to know that money isn't everything in life and <laughs> i <laughs> yeah. won't ever have any so it doesn't really matter yeah i don't know i uh it,
1: it does it does feel like a strange kind of thing i it, it's funny because when i re- think about it for any length of time i start to have an impulse of okay how am I going to decouple myself from this system (laughs) in different ways or whatever, you know, like, and uh, it just ends up being kind of like, well, it's too irritating for it to matter at like an individual level. Like it's just, I can maybe do a few things here and there, but even then, like everything is so set up on like a certain path that it's more just something you can kind of gripe about and then maybe build into your political alternatives or something down the line or something, maybe something that works a bit differently or something so yeah I mean at the very least I don't feel like uh, cheerleading for it or working for part of that you know apparatus or something I think yeah I'd, I'd for feel, sure I'd feel uh, bad about that but I don't know I was thinking of like a related thing of you know the re- you can't repair stuff kind of stuff uh, of yeah. the internet of things you know there's that internet of shit thing or something like that on the I think like the account where what they do is they basically just track all of the things that now have firmware and stuff, you know, and uh, it's like a toaster and all that and all these different things that break down or like their subscription services that the company goes bankrupt. And then you just don't have like it just it's pinging to nothing kind of thing, you know, like uh, and uh, uh, there's so many things now with like the smart home and all that where it's designed to catch a net around everything that you consume, everything that you experience I don't know. It's just a strange thing. It just seems like a bit, the whole thing, as I said, any individual thing is just a bit weird and like has to be like convinced to me, you know what I mean? Like has to be explained. And then I'm like, okay, well maybe I can see the point of that. But then when it's all together at one thing where you're like, okay, well I have to, you know, attach my toaster to Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. Then you're like, whoa, this is a bit weird kind of thing. I don't know. So
0: yeah, it it, it almost kind of seems like it's possibly a move of desperation on their part. Like they, they know they can sell you stuff, but it's not enough. So they need to make sure that they, as a company, can exist in the future. So yeah. they're, they're making these moves where it's like, well, you need us to exist because otherwise your toaster can't tell you what the weather is like or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of keeps them around, I guess. It's sort of like a lifeline for them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know, I, as much as I don't like to see those people, like, getting fat and rich and stuff. Uh, Seeing them make things that smell a little desperate is almost scarier because it's like, wait, hold on. You guys are what, – what, what's the desperation about? Sure. Can you just go back to your regular blood sucking instead of like uh, red alert level blood sucking? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and we had Leo on before talking about this kind of stuff with clothes where it's like you have – basically everything is made in the cheapest way possible now. It's designed to be thrown out quickly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And uh it does feel like that is a large part of the whole culture now where it's like you don't it's not only that you don't own content in a lot of ways it's also that anything that you do own is designed to be sort of faddish and short lived and you know integrated into this it's not it's not like you have like showpiece or valuable clothes anymore a lot of the a lot of it is just basically like ass leisure kind of stuff or. Like, uh, you know, just basically getting by kind of cheap stuff that you can... And, and again, it's one of those things where that doesn't really bother me as much individually, but I can see how it's not good for the overall cultural kind of like ecosystem kind of thing. I can see how it all yeah. comes together pretty quickly to create this uh, sort of nightmare, especially in terms of like throwaway culture and stuff where you know it, it encourages a certain type of non-sustainability kind of thing so yeah
0: yeah it is interesting to see how discontent about this stuff is rising up because like i think what you're describing is true for many people like they don't have strong negative reactions to any one particular thing so they're kind of just like oh well well that's a little annoying or they don't care about it at all and they just go along with it but some like subcultures or communities like it really affects them in a negative way. And they kind of have like this allergic reaction against it, but it's really focused on that one kind of like consumer aspect, you know? So like, I know that right to repair is like a big deal for PC and like DIY enthusiast type people. Like they talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't really know exactly what that is, but I know that uh, there's a big difference between like the Apple style where you buy an Apple computer and you basically can't open it up and tinker with it or upgrade it or anything. You have to give it back to them to service it at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you build your own computer, you can are basically like now paying for the privilege of doing that. How that the that, stuff is getting so expensive. It's essentially like this tax on your <laughs> on your your stuff to be able to actually, you know, use it yourself. Sure. Um, and. People in that community get upset about that particular issue, but they may not have any care at all about all of the other ways that this sort of logic is playing out. So it only seems like, oh, well, the gamers are getting cranky, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you have like clothes people or whatever, like uh, like Leo is describing that whole situation. They may just be getting upset about clothing. And it, it again, it's just kind of like centered in this consumerist kind of way. And I don't think that builds any sort of political solidarity at all, because a lot of these different groups are not going to see eye to eye, even if they have the same kind of complaints about their particular subculture. It's not going to be connected to like a broader critique. And then I don't think that snowballs or leads to anywhere, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that the related thing with that is that you see conspiracy theories explicitly related to consumer issues that they might not make sense too much themselves, but you can kind of see what they're getting at for things like you mentioned kind of the gaming stuff a bit i think that's part of it that like you know you know there there obviously is that sort of controversy around that kind of stuff a lot of the time but you know it, it's related things too, where like i think like the the fear of like vaccines you know the the ones before covid kind of stuff you know like uh mm-hmm. for measles and all that kind of stuff or whatever like you had these like consumer movements kind of that wouldn't you wouldn't think of them in that way but they are that are like uh you know mothers against vaccines or like Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it. You know, they're all different, like, ways of people that have some sort of feeling of unease with an industry, explaining it in different ways and stuff. Like, so, you know, they know that, like, say, the food industry has a lot of food that is just not healthy at all that's being sold. So they react in a different way by, like, say, coding their food in different ways to be healthy in in, in their minds, like, you know, organic and vegetarian all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they have, like, a continuum of that with other parts of their life about, like, trying to avoid toxins and all that kind of stuff. So they might be environmentalists and stuff. And then they're also worried about, you know, the vaccines or allergies and all these different things, like, where it, it adds up as a whole subculture. But all we end up focusing on is the irrational elements of it being a source of like ridicule kind of thing instead of that overall kind of consumer some you know kind of fear of what what's going on in society and stuff so, yeah, yeah. The, the
0: complainers are confused and then the critics of the complainers are also confused like they're not really getting at what the powers that be or whatever can kind of get away with this plan because people are debating about very surface level things that are antagonistic between those two groups, but it's not really antagonistic with the the logic of the, the economic plan that's being rolled out. Sure. Yeah, I think that you can kind of look at a lot of controversy that arises. Like, remember when Cuties came out and people were, like, boycott Netflix and kind of upset at Netflix and all this sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a similar thing where, you know, content that is as we were describing, it's really geared towards a certain kind of market and demographic and it gets rolled out onto the service that's available to everybody, but it's really kind of specifically targeted in terms of like, who, who are we really trying to get on board here? Like who do we care about that? We kind of keep their subscriptions and cuties. I'm not going to say is like something that everybody necessarily was like dying for, but it certainly is something that turns off a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like, that, they're mm-hmm. just going to have an immediate negative reaction to that. And so when people complain about that and, and start saying things like, oh, Netflix is trying to turn us all into pedophiles or something, you know, that's pretty strange, right? Like, most yeah. people are going to hear that and think that's bizarre. But uh, if you just kind of counter that argument and don't think about, like, why are, why are people feeling this strongly about this, like, weird movie or whatever, you're just going to end up in this, like, pointless culture war argument you know mm-hmm. instead of and then netflix kind of gets away with all this you know whatever they're trying to do with the services and stuff so
1: yeah, yeah. like uh, people are feeling un- feeling unease about like this cur- curation aspect that netflix has right and uh they don't know how to put that into words really so a clear-cut example comes up to them in their minds of why something is wrong here so then they focus yeah. on that you know instead of worrying about what that means In broader terms, we end up just kind of making fun of them for thinking that it was a deliberate plot or something like that. So,
0: yeah. Right. Um, Another thing I kind of have been thinking about, which I don't have very clear ideas about, but it's just something that maybe the listeners, you know, maybe it'll just kind of get them thinking if they have other ideas about this, but just how this is affecting other countries outside of North America. Mm -hmm. Because I think we tend to think about how this affects us. I I think a lot of this... Like economic logic has been baked into a lot of developing countries, like countries that have experienced like World Bank assistance and UN assistance and stuff for development over the past, like, say, 10, 20 years, maybe even. Um, I think a lot of this idea of you don't own stuff, you just rent it is already kind of there. One example that came to mind, it's not a direct connection, really, but I think you can kind of see what I'm getting at. Is I think this was last year. Well, no, I guess it would be the year before uh, Lebanon had these big protests about a WhatsApp tax, which sounds completely alien to me, right? Like I can't see that happening here in the United States. Mm -hmm. But it made sense in Lebanon, right? Because they had these very high fees on their phones and utilities and stuff like that. So people were using WhatsApp to kind of get around that. And so the government saw that as a huge loss of revenue that they were expecting. And so they imposed a tax on WhatsApp and it created these huge protests. Mm -hmm. And I remember in Palestine, the way people would pay for their utilities was like pay as you go basically for everything. So you would just go to a meter and put in some money and, uh, you know, you could put in like a buck, you know, (laughs) You you, Mm -hmm. you could really like pay very little for this. Then you'd get a certain amount of gas, you get a certain amount of electricity or whatever, and then when it would run out, you have to go fill up the meter again. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it just, there was no sense of like, I pay this monthly as a bill. It was just like, well, you pay it until you run out of money, and then you find more money and you come back for it. Sure. And, um, you know, again, that's not like some kind of dramatic, radical difference really, but it just sort of seems to like anticipate some of these. Things coming to be like the norm for everything you know yeah. and i just wonder how this is going to play out because this whole great reset thing is supposed to be like a global plan. there's mm-hmm. people from leaders from all over the world coming together to figure this out together and uh i think in different countries they're going to have a different sense of like what needs to change and what's already working for this. And it'll be interesting to see like if if some of these countries that are developing already along this line, if they're going to get there faster, if there's going to be more pushback, you know, who knows? It, it could play out a lot of different ways. So it'll be interesting. For mm-hmm. sure.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of uh, what's happened in uh, South Africa under Mandela, like all of these new liberal programs, like uh, in terms of like power meters and all this kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that they did is, um, set it up so that, well, basically the idea of, for under Mandela was that they had, he tried to push a lot of like special social democratic programs to just address some of the black poverty and all that kind of stuff right away. But at the same time, he got hit by so many different, uh, structural adjustment program kind of stuff that it was like for every one good thing he did, he had to do two bad things or three bad things kind of thing, you know? And, um... One of the things that they did was privatize the power system, power production, Mm -hmm. and move towards a metered system and make it so that individuals had pay accounts for um, their power and then cut them off and all that kind of stuff, you know, like if they didn't pay. And uh, in a way that didn't really make sense, especially for the thing. And it turned into this huge problem where the power went up, prices went up and all this kind of stuff. And people had these accounts that they just weren't paying so their power would go off and then they'd have to pay you know in the same way I think that you suggested like in terms of being metered in a special way and all that kind of stuff and uh, the response to it that the people in villages and stuff would do is just wire things illegally right so sure they yeah. would uh, basically cut out the power boxes or they would you know move things around basically different ways so that like one power thing was powering a bunch of different things in very dangerous ways often right like you know all these yeah uh, that I mean that's very common to see I guess in the developing world is all these wires everywhere it's interesting that what happened was it ended up being for a long time this kind of tit-for-tat kind of thing where you would have these power workers like the from the companies going around just constantly trying to fix these problems and then collecting money and stuff from people and their defaulting accounts and all this kind of stuff and And the overall effect on the system was basically, like, it was like the whole power system was arranged around these payments and stuff that didn't even make, like, much rational economic sense at the end of the day. Like, uh, if if it had been set up in a better way so that, like, it was just, you know, guaranteed to certain people and that kind of stuff, it probably would have avoided a lot of these compounding social problems and, and economic problems related to it and stuff. So it was kind of like an absurd uh, dance kind of thing. And uh, what ended up happening in response is they, they uh, won a sort of reform measure where basically the first amount for each person, the small amount, was free, I think, and then sort of like a staggered rate on top of that or whatever. So they actually won a victory on that kind of thing because of how absurd the result was. I feel like the government wants to in a lot of places wants to move more and more towards that kind of model of you know pay for basically anything um resource use wise to the hilt kind of thing right like you see that with like tuition for schools or carbon taxes and all this kind of stuff and then from there you kind of move into a weird zone kind of thing where it's like uh you know the the resulting weird system of tithes on everyone and stuff is probably less efficient than just having things being public and stuff so yeah
0: yeah mhm yeah so i don't know we will we will see how things play out but those are a lot of kind of ominous signs i think that the direction <laughs> we're going in so yeah yeah when you hear about the great reset or whatever and the the whole conspiracy angle to it i think that there's You know, there's some legitimacy to the anxieties that people have, you know, not necessarily any specific narrative. There's always a lot of wacky narratives around exactly what is going on there. But the idea that something bad is happening seems right. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to questions here. Um, Okay, how about this one, Don? Do you think Ukrainians are the real heronvolk? Um,
1: yeah, I, I'm not really sure what that means. I think it's it's like a certain type of like, uh, the people of the nation, whatever, I guess like, uh, yeah, I whatever. don't really
0: know exactly what that means. I looked it up and it says the German nation as considered by the Nazis to be innately superior to others. I guess hair is like, sir, right? Like okay. hair, whatever is like Mr. Whatever. So I, I guess it's kind of like master race know. kind of a thing.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's
0: uh, that's actually literally what it means, master race.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I I do feel like uh, it's sad that like that a lot of that culture got completely wiped out, like Central European culture in World War II kind of thing. Just yeah. got like nuked, basically. But like, uh, I don't know. I, I like I like the idea sometimes of thinking of like what would have happened if like. After World War One, things just kind of plugged along for a while, you know, instead of just the borders and everything getting ripped apart and all again and again. But, uh, I don't know. Eh, it's sad. But yeah. That's why I also believe that, like, it would be fun if, like, there was, like, a super state. Some, like, just be everything between Germany and Russia was, like, one country, basically. And, <laughs> like, uh, the,
0: uh, Poland, Lithuania, the old. Yeah. Union exactly. State. But, like, yeah.
1: including the Southern Slavs and, like, nordic countries maybe just mm-hmm. like a giant super state which is like more powerful population wise at least than russia and germany and all that yeah it'd be it'd be fun
0: I yeah it would be fun yeah <laughs> really? one, one thing we should get to in the future is uh looking into like the really far right wing ukrainian cultural groups and stuff yeah because like, i know that they they are really core to, like, the whole international fascist network, like the whole Gladio thing. They're really a, a core part of that in North America, and I think it would be kind of interesting to dig into that, uh, sure. especially since you may have some, you know, I don't know, just some kind of idea about that a little bit. Because even in Canada in particular, it's supposed to be kind of, like, headquartered there. So Yeah,
1: Canada is huge. I think that, like, people from Eastern Europe in general – and in, including Russia, like, I think there's probably, you know, million, two million Canadians that have that heritage in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's like 700,000 for Ukraine and some, you know, or something like that. It's, it's huge. It's huge number of people that come from that kind of thing. And, yeah, very explicitly modeled on the Zionist movement, too, a lot of it. Right. As, like, yeah. splitting the left and uh turning a lot of the movements into nationalist movements and in canada a lot of that work is done by liberals too which is kind of funny or like uh reformist left kind of people too so that like there's very big wings of the liberal party and stuff that are like lobbyists for ukraine and stuff our deputy prime minister is actually that's like the most famous case she like owns a condo in kiev i think and stuff and like is like a ukrainian nationalist kind of person so Hmm. um yeah it's it's one of those things where it it reminds me of like latin america in that way where you'll have a lot of people in sort of liberal circles in the united states that might be consider themselves quite progressive in the united states but then the second they start talking about their home countries and stuff you know yeah they start getting into like Well, you know, the death squads are just militias of people's defense or something, you know, like uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's the difference is that I think that most of the people in Ukraine now especially are not really like on the other side, sort of, quote, unquote, not really that much different in a lot of ways. You know, sometimes they might brand themselves as being communist and stuff. But like, I don't know, it's it's. It's one of those things where it just it's like a bad situation it's like uh, how haiti was for years or something like that you know like where it's like hmm. just a lot of like bad people on all sides kind of thing or something you know it's not like uh, people try to easily cheer one side or the other i don't know i feel like that is happening right now with like navani or whatever in uh russia where a lot of people are pointing out that he's like far right and that and it's like yeah but that's like <laughs> it's a russian politics it's like Far-right people pointing at far-right people all the time. That's all it is kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's always a good, like, working assumption. Just assume everyone's a bad actor until they prove themselves otherwise.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, imagine, like, uh, the Communist Party of the Russian Federation or whatever, like, having a meeting about, like, woke stuff or something like that in DSA meeting or whatever, you know, like, having, like, a joint (laughs) meeting or something. And they're, like, talking about how, like, the family is the root of the nation or something, you know, or, like... I don't know. Like a lot of the a lot of left wing parties in a lot of the world have pretty like red brown kind of views. I don't know. They're like pretty they have like a lot of views that would be considered far right in Western countries, basically, I would say. So Yeah.
0: yeah. It's it's really interesting how neatly you can cover all that stuff up under the umbrella of just like cultural tolerance. Like yeah. if you're if you're coming from like this liberal ideology and you want to engage with like a far right cultural nationalist well you can kind of just hand wave all the problematic stuff around that and just say like oh well, you know this is their culture and we we should respect that and preserve that and so i guess they do have to uh you know have these people's militias that yeah cleanse the villages and stuff
1: yeah or like we don't support them directly it's that we oppose the we want to leave it up to them yeah and uh they're they just happen to be the people that have these far right views or whatever so i don't know i i think that like uh my automatic argument uh gene or something that makes me want to argue with people like that a lot of the time i'm pretty good at suppressing it but it's hard because uh i don't know there's a lot of stuff now where i just have to let it flow over me instead of getting into arguments because it's
0: not worth it but yeah right that's their culture you have to tolerate exactly yeah yeah All right, uh, let's move on to the next question. I think this one is directed at me. It says, what is your opinion of Oman? On that whole subject, what do you think of Ibadi Islam? Is it okay? Um, I don't have any real opinions about Oman, except that it's kind of like an interesting place historically. The whole Indian Ocean trade network is something that I don't think gets enough attention, generally speaking, in terms of how dynamic and just interesting of a place it was. Mm-hmm. the the whole tra- like the trade from Yemen to India it was it's very easy to navigate those waters so that has been going on for a very long time and so you have places like Oman that have as much Indian interaction and influence much more so than say they would with like countries on the Palestinian coast you know mm-hmm. so that's just like an interesting like historical setting. Um, in terms of Ibadi Islam, again, it's very interesting, uh, the origins of it derived from the Khawarij sect, which were kind of like the very earliest sect of like Takfiri jihadist type people who consider like all other Muslims sinners, and because they were sinning, that put them out of Islam, this was their theology, this isn't standard theology, so they, they sinned, that means that they are uh, apostates, that means that we can kill them and rob them and their property you know, rightfully belongs to us. That's kind of stuff. So that's where Ibadi Islam originates. It's not like that at all anymore. Like it's not some extremist, like sect like that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like mellowed over time. And it, I think that the basic theological foundations of it are, it's still there. Like they still have these beliefs, but they're much more tolerant and kind of like Sunnified like they pray with sunnis and stuff commonly and so i don't know i have no issue with them as they have no issue with me really so mm-hmm. yeah I, I i really don't uh, like to divide up islam into these different sects and stuff like even like sunni shia i think people can put way too much emphasis on that when you're if you just take your average sunni and your average shia who don't have like overinvestment in sectarian politics they're not going to have a like a lot of difference like they may technically pray differently and there may be certain holidays that are emphasized more in one or the other but it's not like they're going to see each other as like sworn enemies or even like necessarily of being of a different kind of religious thing or whatever you know like that's not necessarily the case and that that's kind of how i see it like if someone's claiming shia i don't assume that they have like problematic beliefs that even like that i couldn't claim them to be as like a brother or sister you know what i mean like it's that stuff is just really silly Mm -hmm. uh were you ever in oman
1: no okay
0: no I've, i've never been to that part of the peninsula okay uh so let's move on to the next question here what's cuter real animals or cartoon animals
1: real animals yeah
0: yeah i agree real animals cartoon animals are funny yeah but i i don't cartoons in general i don't find like cute is it the kind of impression i get from them it's more just like they're funny or it's just a way of animating something you know mm-hmm.
1: yeah i've been i've been into retweeting uh, animal pictures lately i don't know <laughs> <laughs> cool People's dogs and stuff i like that
0: yeah, it's, it's funny how that's such like a normie thing, but it also, you, you go round deep enough, it's kind of like the horseshoe effect, you come back to it. Yeah. You go, you get so online, you just kind of come back to like, I like cat pictures and, sure. and like dog videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. How do you decorate and furnish your living space? Well, I know you have some interesting decorations.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got like a paper cut thing of uh, the five heads of uh, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao that I keep above my desk. And I think it says in Chinese something like, Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought is good or something like that, I don't know. And uh, I bought it from this guy that what he does is he had like tiny scissors and he cut out from a single piece of paper all of the, like everything, like all the characters, all the little divots in the people's faces and stuff um, with these tiny scissors Mm. And, uh, it's like a little craft thing and, uh, I bought it for like, you know, $4 or something, I think. So, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. That's about it really. I've got my master's diploma up too. I don't know. And then, uh, I need to, uh, like, I feel like eventually I want to buy some like, you know, art or something. I don't know, like posters or something. I don't know. Nice framed things. But other than that, I don't really... I don't have like a place right now, really, that I feel like is like mine. So, you know, in the future when I do, that'll be nice. So, yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still of that mindset. Even though I've lived in this place now for like five six years, I still have this like sense of like no point in getting settled here and putting stuff up. So my walls are fairly bare. I do have some framed uh, photographs that either I or Tabs have taken. Uh, and we kind of keep those up so I've got a picture of the two of us on my dresser Uh, there's a picture of her when she was younger Um, we got some pictures of like mountains and forests and stuff that we visited yeah but but, like they actually have a few framed art things just sitting on the floor that I haven't put up because I like I said I, I don't I, I've i moved around so much that I have never really had a place that I was just like, okay, this is where I'm at now. I should decorate it. So I just have never really decorated properly sure. yeah. before. So I, I don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. So I'm very slowly kind of like cleaning things up and stuff. Like I'm going about it in a very like utilitarian kind of way. So like the first thing I'm doing right now is like I'm kind of improving my desk situation. So I'm getting like... Routing my cables and wires and stuff so that that's neat. Um, I'm getting a boom arm for the mic. I'm getting a headphone mount for my headphones and stuff so that can kind of get out of the way Mm because all this stuff just sort of sits on my desk otherwise. So like once that's cleaned up, then I'll be like, okay, well now I kind of want a little bit more lighting up there. I want a picture on the wall over there, that kind of thing. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We got something the other day in the mail, which is like a little nightlight that we wanted in the bathroom. And it's it's like three little mushrooms. And, uh, it's got the same kind of RGB lighting that you would have in like a computer, you know? Oh yeah. So I was kind of laughing about the fact that like even our nightlight has like that stupid gamer lighting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess I've got like pictures of my niece and nephew and stuff like that and like family and stuff. And, uh, I don't know, little things like that. A lot of books. That's a, I don't know. I tried to make it into like a work desk kind of thing. So I've got like you know, all my like envelopes and cards and pens and, you know, all that stuff arranged so that it looks like I might theoretically do work one day, but I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it like it is right now, but yeah, it doesn't feel like, it feels like just a place I'm staying for now kind of thing. So, and I moved to like probably in the last 20 years, I've moved once every like two years, probably in, you know, in general kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know, or more maybe. So, yeah, so like uh yeah. I'm kind of hoping to save up and maybe like commit to a place for a while kind of thing. So, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Right now we're rocking the transient minimalist aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. Next question here says, "How can the Bible explain friggin' dinosaurs, man?" It can't. <laughs> um
1: Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, I like joking about this with like dinosaur theory and stuff and like pretending that I don't believe in it and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I I don't understand what the, I guess, I guess the idea is that like, it's just uh, no necessary. It's like, don't multiply entities or something like that. It's like uh, Occam's razor kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, if you can explain why certain things are there and you can't explain why certain things aren't there or something like that, you know, like, then therefore there's no reason to lean on a supernatural explanation or something like that. Like, I think that's the, you know, that's like the upshot of it. And, uh, I don't know. It, it feels like, uh, that's not true if it just happens to be the case that things were set up that way or whatever, you know, like it's just a, mm-hmm. it's like for creation or something like that. Right. It's just like, if God wanted them a certain way and they happen to evolve that way or something like that, it's, it, it's not like a percentage thing. It's not, it's not like a, okay, there's a 5% chance things were created or something, something like that. It's, it's either it happened or it didn't, right? There's no probability involved. So it yeah. uh, doesn't really make logical sense in a certain sense, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but my favorite like fan kind of fiction about dinosaurs as it pertains to Islam is that there is some lore about jinns, which is that the the way that Iblis, like Satan, became the the head, like the chief jinn, is that he prosecuted a war and won a war that kind of like conquered all of the jinn and like became like their leader. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was in the court of angels, you know, with God. And then when he was presented Adam, he refused to bow. This is all in the Quran, right? So this is kind of like the, the reason that Satan hates us and is trying to get us like to do bad things and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he used to be a good guy and conquered all the djinn. And I like to kind of like theorize that the dinosaurs was actually like, they were the vehicles through which these wars were fought. So like djinn like possessed the dinosaurs and like fought it out. (laughs) in like this kind of like mech warrior kind of thing with dinosaurs. That's cool. Yeah, that, that would be cool. Like what if that actually is what happened? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing with, uh, dinosaurs and stuff is I, I don't, we don't know as much about dinosaurs as kind of is presumed. Like when you have this sort of argument with religious folk who have this kind of idea about dinosaurs, I, I think people kind of just are really, uh, easy to kind of presume that we just know everything about dinosaurs and it's very established and stuff. There's a lot of like guesswork and patchiness in there, so While the the typical arguments that you hear from like dinosaur deniers or whatever on the religious side are not very good and clearly like they're really trying to maintain a a very simple narrative that is just like it's in our scripture and that explains everything and you don't need to think about it like don't you know don't complicate things. I think the other people who are kind of criticizing this tend to kind of say like, well, you know, you need to accept the science. Of the, there's a lot of gray area there. I think where you can have a kind of like a literal, a literalist kind of reading of your scripture and still accommodate the, the fact of like dinosaurs and stuff. I think that's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think if you even just take one step away from it being all literal all the way down, you know, then it's like, okay, well, then who cares? It's like you're trying to, yeah. It's like yeah. Pe- when people try to argue with the dumbest people they can find, kind of thing, instead of, you know, actually work through the ideas, whatever. But, anyways, yeah, I guess it doesn't, yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, I don't think, for that kind of stuff, like actually winning those arguments or something. But, yeah. I don't know. Right. Sure.
0: Okay. Tom, as a Muslim, do you think that sloths, the South American jungle, in quotes, animals, are actually a form of jinn? And what about you, Don? Do you think those creatures are actually physical manifestations of sin um i I have never thought about that, but that's an interesting idea hmm
1: yeah, they're named sloths because they are sloth um that's interesting
0: yeah, I wonder yeah that that seems like a
1: a good thing that we could work with like as like a maybe you could like i don't know study them and slowly and kind of thing and then learn from them and then. Uh, I could become not a sloth anymore from that We or could yeah. develop
0: like a vaccine based on their DNA. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And then I could get a lot of energy and be able to do stuff or whatever. So that'd be fun.
0: Yeah. Or maybe we end up inadvertently developing some kind of like cult that like ritually sacrifices these animals to like get rid of the, the lazy bug or whatever in <laughs> people. Sure. And they yeah. have to like kill a sloth on a big Aztec temple or something. Yeah.
1: I don't think either of our religions are big into that though, right?
0: Like no but I'm these things spiral out sure. of control pretty yeah. quick so mm-hmm. yeah there there are some beliefs in the muslim world around certain animals being jinn like black dogs is a very common one in south asia and to some extent the arab world as, as well mm-hmm. but that i don't know i just i don't get how that works to me like it's very clear that jinn are like unseen things they kind of exist in like this psychic kind of dimension makes a lot more sense to think of them that way as like, you know, in the way that we think of like mental illnesses, kind of having some sort of being in the sense that they're like a coherent single object or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Yeah. All right. This question, I'm not a fan of this question, but I appreciate the, that it's being asked here. It says, is modernity a form of decadence? So let me explain why I don't like this. It's two very vague terms, and I'm being asked if one term is the, is the same as the other term. Now, you can define modernity a lot of different ways, and I don't know what's necessarily intended here, and decadence is also like a very broad idea that could really mean a lot of things. So I'm being asked if one thing, which could be many different things, is the same as another thing, which could also be many different things. So I I find it difficult to answer that. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I feel like most periods of history have had decadence in them. I don't know. Like, uh, not really. Like if I think of, like, societies propped up by slaves and stuff or whatever. Uh, yeah. Or, like, you know, giant feudal riches and all that. Or systems. I really systems, don't, I don't know. know
0: exactly what decadence is supposed to be. Is it just that there are rich people living, like, grotesquely luxurious lives or something? Like, I don't know what to contrast that with
1: yep i think that's about it or unless it's supposed to be in that like it becomes grotesque to such a degree that it becomes the ideology of the world or something so that it's not just the fact that it has instances of of richness kind of thing or that it has become corrupt but also that they view society through that lens and that it's like a corruption I don't know. I, I could kind of see that, but it, it seems like a stretch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These This really seems to kind of be part of like a. you have an ideology and you have certain things you love and certain things you hate within that ideology and you apply these terms to it and they can kind of, anything can fit there as you need them to. So modernity is like anything that exists today and decadence is the bad aspect of it that used to be better and we can return to that. So that, that seems kind of primed for, <laughs> to be an instrument of ideology. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It also sounds more like a question for like an explicitly post left podcast or something kind of thing, you know, yeah. When they, get, sure. when they get deep into that kind of stuff. I don't know. I know. Yeah. Not really... There's,
0: there's one of those guys that loves talking about decadence. And I'm never really sure what he's on about, but <laughs> okay. Uh this one's in all caps and it says all caps mode is the most powerful mode on the internet use carefully and all your enemies shall be vanquished but if you do not know how to use it you will be consumed by its power Hmm I don't know I think he's right remember that guy all caps bro
1: Yeah Yeah he was powerful
0: He was powerful and he was just whiny about everything but like sure. because it was in all caps it felt impressive
1: At the same time, I think there was like film critic Hulk or something. Oh, right. And he did it and it was not good. I don't think so. No, because
0: you diluted it with the gimmick account. Sure. Which is a very, gimmick accounts are a very front loaded kind of mode. You know, you get the immediate like, oh, haha, that's a funny concept. And then as soon as that wears off, it sucks. So you do that with all caps and you're just stretching out the suck.
1: There's a, there's one difference that I've heard uh, that uh, that I know of that uh, is um, Unreal Tournament Warrior,
0: um,
1: <laughs> who uh, posts about Unreal Tournament and posts in all caps. So I think he's quite or he or she is quite powerful. So yes,
0: that's a fair point. I would say that the all caps is not an all. Uh, it's not your standard all caps mode. Sure, but yeah. it, it, instead it is it is part of the gimmick that it still works. So some of these gimmicks do have a little bit of longevity. And I think this is a case where the, the, the all caps is really just kind of triggering that unreal tournament guy voice in your head. Yeah. And so it's not technically all caps mode, although you do get some of the, the benefits of all caps mode by doing it that way. So sure. It's an excellent deployment of the gimmick account there.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the few that holds up over time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How do I get my white dad to stop using AAVE in text messages without hurting his feelings?
1: I don't know why you would want him to stop. I don't know. You should be encouraging <laughs> it. You should be pushing his limits. Try to see what you can get him to say. So
0: Yeah, he's uh he's just exploring, you know, this new world we live in with in Biden's America, you know?
1: Sure. Yeah, so I guess that does it for uh this week. Folks if you enjoyed this episode and would like a second episode every week, please sign up for our Patreon at the moment here, which will get you access to the Discord as well, where we uh, chat, and also there are topic suggestions and Discord questions for bonus episodes.
0: And uh, I'm not sure what else. What is there? What else? There? Um, yeah, that's about it. You get your second episode and you get your Discord. And uh, yeah. That's it. We'll see you next week. Yep. See you guys. Bye.